it's Chris. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You don't have to do any of that work. In addition, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome back to the Situation and the Story podcast, where you can peer into what happens behind the page as I pick authors' brains about their experiences, their process, and their purpose. I'm your host, Chris Moore. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. In my second episode, I sat down with Hilary Leftwich to discuss her multi-genre collection, Ghosts Are Just Strangers Who Know How to Knock, published earlier this year by Civil Coping Mechanisms Press. A couple years back, I met Hilary at the monthly reading series she hosts in Denver called At the Inkwell. She was kind enough to lend some support through my application process to the Mile High MFA at Regis University where she earned her MFA in fiction and poetry. She is the poetry and prose editor for Heavy Feather Review and freelances as a writer, editor, writing workshop instructor, and she's a guest instructor for Kathy Fish's Fast Flash Workshop. Hillary's writing can be found or is forthcoming in print and online in such journals as The Rumpus, Entropy, and The Missouri Review. Okay. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, the first question I ask everyone is, why do you write? Well, that's a good question with many answers. Um, I think I write to get my voice out in the world, um, to stay sane, to discuss political and social issues, to share ideas and views, and to make people uncomfortable. Oh, I like that last one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know it's a big question, which I just want to see, you know, answer it how you want, but that's a, that's a great list. So you recently published Ghosts Are Just Strangers Who Know How to Knock. I love that title. So much of your work seems to deal with this idea of ghosts. Can you talk about that a little bit? Um, I think ghosts, the idea of ghosts and strangers are very intermingled. Ghosts as in past relationships, people, or the things that haunt us, basically, are all themes in this book that, that uh, it's, it's a hybrid book as well, multi-genre. So these themes run throughout in different shapes, um, themes, and ideas. So it's not exactly how it sounds to be. Yeah, I have to admit it was kind of my first go around with a collection of like flash fiction type stuff i'm assuming mm-hmm. it's flash fiction just based on what i know of you and your writing and it was interesting for me i was kind of, it, it was it was new for me so it was took a minute to 
get used to and try to understand. I don't know if you can talk a little bit about that genre. Flash fiction. Um, so the collection isn't all flash fiction. A lot of it is prose poetry. With flash fiction, it's just, it's a moment in time, I feel, is the definition. At least for me, it's just a moment in time where yeah. you're you're taking the reader to a very important uh, scene or memory right in the middle of it, right in the middle of the action. And you always want to have that echo at the end um, so you can leave them wondering that that's something that I always strive to do in, in writing flash fiction. There's none of your typical fiction tools, uh, a beginning, a middle, and an end. You can just throw those out the window because <laughs> that's right. not what flash fiction is about. And then yeah. you have prose poetry where you can pretty much get away with anything, I feel, with prose poetry. Um, it it can be surreal. Like a lot of the pieces, the prose poetry pieces in my book are very surreal. And I I can't really get away with that too much in writing flash fiction. So that's why I like to jump between genres because it allows me the freedom to write the way I want to write and convey an, an idea or a moment. I don't feel like one specific genre can do that. So that's why it is a multi-genre collection. So would you say that the prose poetry in the collection is nonfiction or autobiographical? Not necessarily. I think every piece in there has some autobiographical aspect to them. Uh, just like with anything that we write, right, there's always going to be pieces of that, of us in our work, but not necessarily all autobiographical. A couple of, a couple of the pieces that stuck out to me, like, is, the, is this a real memory? Or, um, well, the one titled Ghosts, <clears throat> excuse me, and then uh, Northern Lights. Those were both super interesting. Yeah. So ghosts, there are elements of, of truth in that one. And that I did, I did as a child used to turn my stuffed animals around because I thought they would come alive at night and stare at me. So that part's true. <laughs> my, my mom told me that. So that's, that part is true. But obviously, I didn't actually get a, a stuffed bear and name him Wilfred Brimley, and he didn't come alive and smoke a cigarette, that, you know, because <laughs> that would be weird. Um, Northern Lights is is uh, about my my brother, my older brother, but um, it's not all true. Most of it in there is true, but uh, he is alive and well. Um, there was a, a a point in time where where nobody had heard from him. And the last that we knew is he was in Alaska. Uh, this isn't unlike my brother to just, he's always been a loner. He's always traveled a lot. But I was seriously freaking out. He had lived in Maui at the time. And I was looking up bodies on the internet, you know, unclaimed bodies and just really freaking out. And so that's that's where that story came from. So does that have anything to do with Super Tramp? Super Tramp is um, based off the book and the movie Into um, the Wild. Into the Wild. Yeah. Um, I had seen the movie a, a long time ago and I had I had read portions of the book of course. I didn't finish the book, I'll be honest about that. But <laughs> that that movie just really struck me. It did. And I and I always know, you know, they fictionalize movies and dramatize things, um, which is why I was I wanted to read the book as well. But the movie just really made a connection with me. Um, mm -hmm. That poor guy, my God, 
Um, so yeah, I mean, and he became kind of like this legend, right? right. So nobody really knows what happened, but that was kind of my way of writing a take on what I think happened. Right. Um, Chris McCandless, I was, I've been fascinated with him for well over a decade. Really? Yeah. I actually found two really old flash drives from like the early mid two thousands. So I plugged him in and um, I found a presentation that I made about him in 2007 for like a speech class at community college or something. So I was really stunned. Like when I came across your piece, super tramp, it's like, even as soon as I saw the title, I'm like, okay, I have some, yeah. (laughs) And then I'm reading, reading, I'm like, oh my God, it's him. What were you trying to do with that? I mean, it's obviously related to your brother or Supertramp. Yeah. No, it's not related to that feeling at all. No, it's kind of like my, well, it might be, I I actually hadn't made that connection before, but it was, it was just kind of my tribute to, to Chris and what he, what he went through and how he died, which nobody can really prove how he died, but yeah, it's like my tribute to him um, because he did, he died very tragically and he died alone. And that's, that's very sad to me. Um, And I'm not quite so old where I'm old enough to be his mother, obviously, but I I have what's called a mom heart and my mom heart just kind of aches for for him, you know, so that was my my tribute to him. between a raven and a crow i love that piece and i have a similar motif going on in my collection that i'm working on with ravens oh, okay and, <clears throat> so that was that piece was a gut punch in general um but it definitely caught my eye because of that kind of raven mm-hmm. and crows and ravens travel in pairs i say the same thing in one of my essays um, what can you tell us about that piece? I'm hoping you'll read it later. Okay. Um, well, honestly, I don't know what I was thinking when I wrote that piece. Um, I originally, I guess it's kind of based off uh, my my dad's neighbor dying um, and everything surrounding that. And then there's a lot about camping and my dad and in this collection too, although I didn't really realize it till after the fact. Um, yeah. So I... I don't know. I think it's a lot about omens and death and darkness. I really just dig ravens and crows. So I wanted to write yeah. a piece on those too. So yeah. Yeah. I think they're fascinating. Um, but obviously I'm not going to write anything like describing a raven and a crow. You always want to mix it in with something interesting. So I think that was <laughs> my way of doing that. <laughs> right. The piece that I wrote that was in Hair Streak Butterfly Review. Yeah. Alongside one of your, I think it was yours yellow? Yellow and the gigantic fruit one. Yeah. Um, talks about uh, the ravens that I saw at, like up on Mesa Arch in Canyonlands National Park. And 
it was like this huge moment of life and rebirth for me. And then I was like, well, it's interesting because ravens are so often associated with death or omens. Right. Yeah. This time. Yeah. And it's like connected to um, an accident that I had when I was 13 that mm -hmm. um, is in the early chapters of the memoir that I'm working on. But I got into a bicycle accident that like I smashed my mouth uh, on the on the pavement really bad. <laughs> and it was mm -hmm. a Sunday and we're waiting outside the dental office for an emergency visit and a bird flew between me and my parents and slammed into the window and just dropped to the ground dead. Well, that's insane. <laughs> yeah. So I've been trying to carry that through like as a theme through the collection. Yeah. But it's interesting how it became about more than death. It's always more than death, isn't it? Yeah. That's pretty simple if you think about it. Everything surrounding death is what's complicated. What do you mean by that? Well, it's everyone picking up the pieces afterwards. You know, death is very final and there's always questions surrounding death and grief and regret. Yeah. Regret is a big one. So death's the easy yeah. part. Right. I know the writing community just lost a good friend in Denver. Andrew. Yeah. yeah. I never. Yeah. I imagine you guys are dealing with that right now. Yeah, it's quite a shock. It's a shock and it's not a shock, if you know what I mean. Like if, if you yeah. were close friends with Andrew, you're not so surprised because of his lifestyle, but it's still a giant hurtful shock. Um, yeah. Because he was such, you know, a strong person in the writing community. And I mean, we're talking going back years and years and years. Mm -hmm. um, he's been connecting people in the writing community in one way or another. And now that he is gone, there's just this huge hole mm -hmm. of where he was. And that's what I mean when I say death's the easy part. It's, it's the aftermath that's, right. that is traumatic. And, and he did, he left a pretty traumatic aftermath with questions. And a lot of people, if you were close with Andrew, you inevitably got into disagreements um, with him right? because that's who he was. So there's a lot of regret going around. And that's sad. <clears throat> that That's probably the most hurtful aspect of this. So, the yeah. Um, yeah. I yeah. Uh, We are having a, uh, a memorial reading for him on Saturday at Hooked on Colfax from 430 to 7. So okay. um, that'll, that'll be good. It'll be a way of, you know, remembering him and saying goodbye as well so when i saw that he had passed i i, I somehow never met him so i which had, is like, unusual because i feel like he met almost everyone in the yeah we had like a, every mutual friend you can imagine on facebook and i don't remember ever meeting him and i once i was seeing the outpouring of you know love for him and who he was that's something i regretted i didn't even get to meet him yeah uh, you know, I've, I've been having a lot of people um, online message me who never met him in real life. And this mm. this is coming to be a theme almost is that Andrew's friendships not only were, you know, here in Denver and Texas where he grew up and where his family is, but also online. You know, people just saying, even though I never met him in real life, you know, he really was my friend. And mm -hmm. I said, and I tell every single one of them, you know, however Andrew was online, that's how he was in person. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that'll be beautiful to, to, you said Thursday is the reading? Saturday. Saturday. Sorry. Yeah. Saturday. Yeah. That's a, 
a hard one. Yeah, especially because he is very young, you know, and it's hard to lose someone that's that's that young and they they still had an entire lifetime in front of them to do great things and, you know, so that's it's a big tragedy for sure. Your peace ritual, which was, I mean, so incredibly powerful and brings together kind of like I was saying that death and, and birth at the same time. Yeah, I uh, I write a lot about my experiences. Um, I got asked that question recently. I, I went to visit uh, my friend Brian's. He teaches over at CCD Community uh-huh. College of Denver. He teaches writing over there. And that was one of the questions his student asked me is, is where do you get ideas for writing? And I told them, uh, life, um, <laughs> you know, all my different yeah. jobs, you know, everything. And so that one in particular was terrible. Um, just hearing my boss wail, this was a sound that just, it's eerie. It, it just gives you goosebumps when you hear this kind of wail yeah. from a human being. It's, it's, it's grief and tragedy and heartbreak all wrapped into one. Just, it was terrible to hear. So I obviously had to write something about it uh, because it did, it struck me so hard to see her go through that kind of pain. So, uh, but you know, that's what we do as writers. We, we write about our experiences, whether it's hurtful or not, you know, I, you want (sighs) to, I always want to take a reader somewhere uncomfortable. I do. Um, mm-hmm. because I, I want them to, to feel the uncomfortableness, to feel the pain. And I'm certainly not a writer that's going to make anybody feel good. Um, <laughs> and I'm okay with that. So that's, yeah, I love that. I mean, <laughs> kind of feel the same way. It's like, yeah. get to the fucking core of it. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I could feel it when I read that and I read it again and again, I guess I like, <laughs> I don't know. Because you said something like it felt ancient. It's like this primal thing. It really was. Yeah. Yeah. It's intense. And beautiful. Yeah. And horrible. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So you, that was at a job that you worked at. And I noticed some other pieces like service. Yeah kind of led me to want to ask you about how like do you consider your book political at all i'm thinking of like service and then mamas don't let your babies grow up in a single single parent households for me they really echoed some of the pain of like patriarchy and capitalism yeah uh i can definitely see that and there might be aspects of that to it but i think it's more about class and you know my struggles as a single mother and just doing various whatever job I could get really to, to pay bills. Uh, I, I was a maid for a very long time in various aspects. I, I wrote a lot about working in, in pay-by-hour motels mm. um, and, you know, being a Lyft driver um, and 
jobs working for the state of Colorado. Um, a lot yeah. of those, and there are some jobs I, I can't, I can't write about yet. I'm just not ready. It's, it's too traumatic. So those are not in this collection, but I'll get there one day. But yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's a lot about class and just how once you're, once you're poor, it is almost impossible to try and get ahead or to get ahead. It, it's, it's a constant three steps forward, five steps back over and over. And it only takes one incident to between having a place to live and being homeless. It really, yeah. that's all it takes yeah. for anybody. And anyone who thinks that's not true is full of shit. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? So, yep. yeah. And that's, that's a hard fact. And so I, I want people to read and connect with working class people struggling because there really is not that big of a separation between us and people who have money. It's just, uh, it's, it's simply one incident. That's all it right. takes. It really you know does. what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I'm, a, I'm, I'm a recovering addict, so I can, I mean, that's, mm -hmm. you know, one area for me where that easily could have happened. And I've seen it happen in my family, people, you know, uncles or, uh, that I am super close to always looked up to artist types and mental health stuff can, yeah. get in the way and then it's just like you said if it's always three steps forward five steps back it's pretty crazy so i appreciate how you humanize that in the collection yeah how do you think how did or how does class affect your ability to write god there's always this like almost this this expectation or or i don't know what it is it's if if you're a writer you go to college, you get your degree, and then you get your MFA, and then you publish a book, and all by the time you're 25. Yeah. And that's bullshit. Um, <laughs> it really those, is. It is. And I'm not, I'm not knocking the people that do that and are successful, but, but you got to look at the privilege um, of these people and, yeah. and call them out on it because, because this is two parts here. Not only is privilege really prevalent in the writing world, but it also goes unrecognized. And I feel like it's our job as writers to recognize our privilege. And we all have privilege in one way or another. Anyone who says they're not privileged in one way or another is full of shit. We have to recognize our privilege and help and support other writers, other artists in the community. That's how it works, period. Yeah. It, is, it is not all about you. Um, and so it, what is it? It's privilege to go to college. It's privilege to be able to do that, especially so if you're right out the gate, you know, get a four year degree, then move on to an MFA. It's privilege to be able to get into an MFA and to mm -hmm. be able to get financial aid or have your mom and dad pay for it. And then there's the flip side. Then you have people working their asses off paying for college, paying for their degrees. And that is not privilege. Uh, you know, and, and that's where we really need to look at both sides. So I feel like as, as an older student, um, I, I've been there where, and I don't think degree equals intelligence at all. Some of the smartest people I know don't have degrees. So right. I think degrees can get you connections for sure. You can learn uh, tools of writing, but it doesn't make you a good writer. An MFA will not make you a good writer. Let's be clear on this. It won't. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, we talked about that in the first episode, too. It's like, I've been thinking about that so much. I'm about to graduate. And it's like, well, Mm -hmm. was it worth it? I mean, for me, it was. I needed the accountability Mm -hmm. and some type of structure around it because I was, you know, a writer not writing for 15 years. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I I do. I I agree. I think the experience really helps people and the, the routine, you know, and the deadlines, you know, being, like you said, being held accountable, that's what people need. They need the structure and you also are part of a community and you make connections, you make friendships and that's important too. But again, when you get right down to it, it's not going to make you a better writer um, or a writer at all. Um, that's, that's something you have to do on your own. And that's another part of, of being a writer in this community. It's not just about what you're doing, you know, what it's not all about you or what, you know, accomplishes you've done. Uh, you have, you have to support the other people in your community. You have to. Um, and I don't mean like this is, this is part of the program, I mean it as it has to be a selfless act. Um, mm. And if you're, if you don't want, if you don't have a need to help other people in your community, to help other writers who are less privileged than you, or, you know, are just starting out um, or need a safe space, a safe space to read their work, a place where they know their voice is going to be heard and they're going to be safe. If you don't want to do that, for your community, then get the fuck out. Seriously. I'm Amen. You know? No, yeah. Yeah, because this is just how it works. This is what keeps it running. This is what keeps it alive is the support. We all support each other. That's yeah. how it works. And I, when I think about it, honestly, that was the other, the big other reason I went towards the MFA was to find that community. And mm-hmm. granted, a, a series of events happened that made it harder for me to participate in that community. Right. But I would say that's the biggest thing I've learned. What you're talking about is you have to give. Yeah. To get. Yeah. I was lucky. Um, when I first started to know the Denver writing community, I, I was, I had a lot of support from uh, Nancy Stolman from the mm-hmm. F-bomb crowd and Charlie Fasano from the Mutiny Info Cafe crowd, the South Broadway crowd. Two very, very different worlds. Very yeah. different worlds. Um, yeah. But, you know, they really did support me as, a, as, as somebody just starting out. And so when I took over at the Inkwell Denver, that was kind of my goal and my motivation in mind is to always seek out new voices and give support to those uh, who who are wanting their voices and their writing to be heard that may not even have a name, you know, and really mm. what's in a name, you know, whatever that we have <laughs> our, we have the, we have our clicks. I mean, but it's always important because there are writers out there that are amazing that nobody knows about. And yeah. I want to give space for them. That's important to me. Yeah. I was looking through our, archived messages to try to kind of create a timeline of our acquaintanceship and realized you had asked me to be to read at at the inkwell in like june 
Um, uh-huh. But I had to go out of town. But I remember being like, "Oh my god, me! Like, <laughs> why?" <laughs> but also, I still like... want to. I still want to get you in next year. By the way, that reminds me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'll be ready by then. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, that's the first time I saw you in the flesh. Was when I went to at the Inkwell mm-hmm. a couple years ago, around the time that I was applying to the MFA program at Regis. Yeah. I was like, huh, this is, how do you build the community? How do you build the friendships? It was a struggle for a while and I'm still learning how to do it. Yeah. It's crucial for sure. (laughs) I think it is. And again, and and it has to be genuine. I feel it's, it's, it it can't be like, because I'm not naming names here at all, but I, I see, I see writers out there that are are strategically doing it to build their own name up and i see right through that fake bullshit and it doesn't fly (laughs) with me it does not fly with me you know it has to be a selfless act there can't be any selfish motivation behind it and i see those people and and it's gross it's disgusting Mm-hmm. And I think I think once people people see this, uh, the the disingenuousness of it and and just the name building is, mm-hmm. you know, eventually people are going to see through that shit. And like yeah. you said, Denver really is it's big, but it's really not as far as the writing community goes. I mean, you have the academics, um, you have the South Broadway crowd, you have the F bombers, uh you know, and then you have the the Boulder and the Front Range people, and then you just have the normal, you know, well, I shouldn't say normal. Then you just have the Denver <laughs> people. Um, nobody's normal in it, obviously. Right. But, <laughs> you know, there are little clicks, but I, I feel like we're we're all in it together. And there are people out there that are very, um, you know, motivated to to be selfish about it and just get their name out. And And that sorry, that's not how it works. You said um, an MFA will not make you a good writer. No. So, and this this kind of came up in the first episode as well. What it what you know is there such a thing as bad writing, or what does it take when you say you've got to do that? You got to make yourself a good writer. What does that mean? Um, doing your homework. And I, I, we all have those pieces of writing where we cringe when we go back and read it and think, oh God, it was so horrible. <laughs> So what what changed between that horrible piece of writing and to where you're at now? Not to say where we're at now is the end-all be-all because we should always be learning and improving our writing until the day we die. What I mean is you got to do your homework. And that means, to me, reading the fuck out of everything you can. You have, you cannot be a good writer if you're not reading constantly. Because when you're reading, you're learning new ways. You're learning what these writers are doing. How, how did she get away with writing that? Well, you're reading their work. And for example, right now I'm reading In the Dream House. And it's a memoir, but it's not a memoir. It's not your typical memoir format. And it's so intriguing to me because it's just like tiny scenes on each page. And... I have read some really shitty memoirs. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I and I don't necessarily like memoirs. I've discovered and that's just me. Yeah. 
But what I'm learning is through reading these memoirs like Ocean Vong, yeah. um, you can change. You don't need to follow the rules to write a memoir. These two authors are have totally changed the rules for memoir writing. And that's the amazing other, to me. The Sorry. other one is... Um, yeah. I had to grab the book. It's uh, Carmen Maria Mikado, and it's in the dream house. Okay. Um, and it's... It's it's amazing. It's about uh, she's in a relationship with a woman and it turns out to be a very traumatic relationship. And she writes it in the frame of the house that they lived in. And, you know, Stephen Dunn talks a lot about architecture within writing. Um, and if this was ever a classic, like really good example of what he's talking about, it's this this memoir is because she's framing this whole relationship within the frame of, of a house that they lived in. It's kind of hard to explain, but she just really broke all the rules with memoir writing. And that's what I love about it. And that's what I mean. If you want to be, I should say, I shouldn't say a good writer. If you want to improve your writing, mm. you need to read a lot um, because this kind of, this is what I mean is, is who knew you could do that with memoir writing? And so you're learning new things. You're learning new techniques, techniques with writing by reading other people's work. If you're not reading, you're, you're not ever going to improve your own writing. program i read a lot of weird unusual structures like that try to I, I would love i would love to do something like that now it's a matter of finding my version of that <laughs> yeah um sila satterstrom write writes uh some really good stuff that that does a lot of that different uh formatting her work's really interesting i'm trying to think of who else does that as well off the top well, of my head, she's she's what I can think of off the top of my head. I know Katie Katie Jean Katie Jean Schinkel has a new book coming out, um, so I'm I'm really curious as to how she structures her her book as well because her past writing has been really interesting too. So mm. I'm excited about that one. Well, Stephen Dunn kind of does it too in Water and Power. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and really like. When I did an interview with him on that book for Heavy Feather Review, that's and I and I'm bringing it up only because his answers to my questions about uh, him writing that book really answered a lot of my own questions with it. Um, so we really get into the details of 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 architecture is really uh, something that he he considers very important with writing. So we get into that a lot. Um, and, you know, even interviewing people for the book was, was something that was challenging for him as well. Um, you know, because of sexual assault, you know, some people just mm -hmm. really don't want their name out there like that. So I think to him, it was a very challenging, uh, book to write and, you know, it's obviously very hybrid. Um, 
but he does. He does a lot of that architecture structuring and then the camera angles um, as well. So there's a lot going on with it, but it's not over your head. You know, he makes right. it easy to connect with. So yeah, yeah. that's a good example. Um, how did you decide to structure or to order your collection? <laughs> Speaking of Stephen Dunn, um, oh, I, I think I remember. I think I remember a story about uh, whiskey and note cards and a living room floor or something. Yeah, we we basically we I printed the whole thing out and we I just went over to his house and we we just set all the the stories out and just kind of went back and forth with how to what order to put it in. Um, and, you know, it's always good to have, have some, have, have a mentor, you know, to, to be able to show you, Hey, this isn't necessarily how it's supposed to be done. Cause really how is anything supposed to be done unless right. you're putting a fucking desk together. But <laughs> when it comes to writing, there really shouldn't be. And, and, and he did, he, he said, well, you know, cause once you get into your work, you're, you've seen it a million times. You mm. can't, you can't step outside so much and see what other people see with fresh eyes. So it's good to have somebody there to help you with that process. And that's what Stephen did for me with my book. Um, so that was, that was really wonderful. So what kind of informed the decisions though? It was really like, where does the last piece leave off? What kind of a feeling does that mm -hmm. leave with the reader and going into the next piece? Even if it's the smallest connection that maybe the reader doesn't pick up on, we did, or mm -hmm. we tried to do that. So if we're leaving off on a death note, um, then, or something about sex, then the next piece in some form or another is going to have a bit of that picking up from that last feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my mentor, Adrian, encouraged me with the same, even David Lazar as well. We had a three-way argument about... <laughs> the order of the first two chapters in my collection. And mm -hmm. ultimately I, ultimately I went with what I felt was best, but Adrian kind of the same thing you're saying. She was like, well, I think this one should be first because the way it ends perfectly mm -hmm. goes into the next one. Maybe not, not in a subtle way, like you said. Right. Um, but I had different ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed every few pieces at least early in in the book are in second person which is always fascinating to me i have a i get yelled at a lot by david lazar also for trying second person it takes like a really specific type of writer and goal in mind so like when you write in second person what are you trying to do i'm really trying to put the reader in there to to be in that moment and that that is the best way to do it uh the strongest way to do it is to use second person. And it doesn't even matter what the content is. That doesn't matter. Uh, we, we all have different experiences and we read. We read to to learn new things and, and be put in different types of experiences. We're, we're there. We're in that moment. And that's the best way to do it is, is to use second person. My mentors have been like, well, you got to make sure you have the authority and it's not too specific where the reader is going to be alienated by it being written in second person and you just have to be really careful, but I don't know. I don't agree with that. And I know your mentors. Um, I really love Adrian. I do. I'm a big fan of hers. You know, there, 
the one piece lullaby, for example, is second person. And I and I write about, um, you know, the unfortunate uh, percentage of sex workers being murdered and tossed aside like garbage. And how are you going to write something like that? How are you going to make an impact on a reader? You know, so are we all sex workers? No. But the point is, I use second person to put that reader in that situation of being murdered as a sex worker, because, and that goes against what your mentors just said, but you know what? It fucking works for me. Um, That's one of my favorite pieces. And it's one of the most uncomfortable pieces as well, but I love it um, because I think it's, it is powerful. And I think the use of second person works really well in that, in that story. Me too. Actually, that was one where I was like, you know, that popped into my head. You can, you can alienate readers like this. And I kind of disagree as well. And mm-hmm. like you said, are we all sex workers? No, none of us have been murdered. But <laughs> yeah, I think it was the most powerful way to do it for lullaby. Right. And I think it's a matter of um, of trying to get that that empathy across. Like, you know, men, men are going to read that piece and will have no absolutely no no experience or background in that. But, you know, hopefully they'll they'll take away that terrible feeling, um, that loss, that tragedy and that that violence as well and that's the whole point is are we alienating readers or are we are we connecting readers um yeah i think it's just a different perspective a different way of looking at it i'm on team hillary on this one should we know about your collection how long how long was it in the making oh god (laughs) Um, (laughs) some of these pieces go back 10 years yeah Um, so I would say about 10 or 11 years in the making uh, when I basically when I had just moved back from Florida with my son and didn't have anywhere to to go and my my mom um helped me get back on my feet and we wound up getting a a place in Denver. And that's really where, and I wrote about this house in Playdate, the essay. And that house was just really important to me because it represents a lot of different things. It represents me getting back on my feet um, and being able to take care of my son again and just being by myself and getting getting out of these awful relationships that I was in and continue to be in in the future, of course. But uh, at that moment, it was just me and my my son and, and we we were starting over and it was just a really good feeling. And I started writing uh, pieces and very, very slowly getting some of them published mm-hmm. uh, very slowly. But I I started out in nonfiction, which people don't really believe me about but <laughs> I didn't know I that. don't know why yeah it's and true you're, just, <laughs> you're like I hate memoir <laughs> <laughs> memoir is hard um it I don't is. hate it it's just no I you know. know it's yeah. hard um but no I didn't start out in flash fiction I I admired flash fiction and I started writing flash fiction because that's all I had time to write 
um, mm. because it doesn't take a lot of time to write. It takes a lot of time to revise, but not write. But I did. I wrote a lot of nonfiction to begin with. Like Playdate was one of the first things I ever actually sat down and and wrote about. And and that's one of my that will always be one of my favorite pieces because I feel like it was a real success for me to be able to sit down and write something like that with no experience. None. Um, I, I hadn't even finished college at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was struggling with that because I, I was in and out of school all the time. I, I was working and trying to raise my son and it was just really difficult. So that was a, that was a su- success piece for me. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a it was a following through and getting it done and then and staying on top of it and getting it published. And, you know, when you're working and raising a kid on your own, that's pretty fucking hard to do. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> But there's writers like uh, uh, Lucia Berlin, or Lucia Berlin, however you want to pronounce her first name. Uh, she really, I, she was one of the first writers I really connected with. Uh, a manual for, for cleaning women was, you know, I was ironically a cleaning woman myself. And so I really connected with her, her writing a lot. Um, and that's when I really... I really started to understand that this whole class system where the class and the privilege and being a successful writer, guess what? It doesn't compute. That doesn't equal this equation. And that's when I started to realize you don't need to do this to be a writer. And I always thought that's the way it was. Um, Come to find out it's not. And so that's when I really started to write about my different jobs and my experiences as a, as a single mother and abusive relationships and, you know, about my son and his epilepsy and all this stuff is I realized not everyone gets to go to CU Boulder and get, you know, a degree and, and write a book. And there, that's not how it is, right? There are writers who are struggling and who, who write about, class and the working class and those are the people I'm interested in those are the writers I'm interested in and those are the people that made me realize I can do this too I don't need to do what I always thought was how you became a writer like that's that's not how it is yeah that was a big realization for me so what made you get an MFA well, I got an MA first. Um, oh. And then for me, I think it's it's really about wanting to learn. Um, and with my MA, I don't, I didn't feel like I learned as much as I wanted to. And learning is different things for many people. Uh, you don't obviously have to go to college to learn. You can learn on your own. Um, I really wanted to get my MFA. That was something that I wanted to do for myself. Mm-hmm. And prove to myself, um, you're talking about somebody that barely graduated high school. Um, Same. You know? And yeah. it's funny because you you hear about, oh, my kid's in the honors program and <laughs> and they're already getting offers. And it's like, that's really cool. I'm happy <laughs> for you. But that's not the story for everyone. Like, people fucking struggle. And... You know, people, people have money issues. 
learning disabilities and shit happens. So I wanted to get my MFA to just kind of prove that I could do it. And I also wanted to continue learning. That was a, that was a big, big thing for me. Yeah, me too. I, I would go to school forever if I could. (laughs) (laughs) I want to talk real quick about small talk. Because we were talking earlier about how we're the types of people that want to just get to the fucking core yeah. of whatever it is. So that piece, I'm a, I'm kind of, <laughs> <laughs> when I read it, I thought, oh, this definitely happened. She said, oh, this. yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you're the first one to even mention it. Like, it's almost gone unnoticed until now. So I oh, feel like this God. is a revelation. I'm like, please, somebody notice this piece. I about it. <laughs> it's one of my favorites for sure. And oh, good. So, yeah. So maybe I want. I might make you read that one too. <laughs> but that's how I am. It's like, ugh, you know. And that's kind of why I started this podcast. Like, I want to get to the the fucking core of it. Like, so. Well, the story the- behind that is, I that was when I was working at one of my state jobs, and right across from the state capitol. And yeah. I mentioned that because it's important. Yes. Because um, the window, uh, which was behind me, you could see Civic Center Park. Mm. And there, I mean, constant entertainment, right? There was mad chaos. And that kind of happened on a daily basis because it's Civic Center Park. But this was like mad chaos. And so we're all looking out the window like, what's going on? Somebody brings up some news app or some Twitter feed or I don't know what from Denver PD. This man, they were trying to arrest him. Uh, he was in handcuffs. And don't ask me how, but he somehow, he he poured gasoline all over himself. And then they handcuffed him. But what they failed to do was get the lighter away from him. Oh, my God. So he actually managed to get away from the cops with he had already poured the gasoline on himself and he lit himself on fire simultaneously to that happening a group of elementary school children had gone on a tour at the state mint and they were walking back from that tour at the same time this happened so you have to take a moment to consider that an elementary school group of children witnessed this man light himself on fire and basically kill himself right how can you not how can you not write about that yeah and how can you not talk about that (laughs) exactly yeah i live a a few blocks from the capitol Mm -hmm. and i'm an elementary school teacher so (laughs) there you go yeah i mean that might be a couple reasons that it hit home but yeah i just think that piece is so telling like the the way the way the dominant culture just ignores discomfort anything uncomfortable it's like you said you know you want to make your readers uncomfortable it seems like you do that (laughs) in real life too yeah i i i do and it's not something i ever set out to do it's just that i'm I'm, yeah i'm just i'm tired i i just don't have time for it yeah. I don't. I'm with you. What advice, for lack of a better term, might you give to new or young or struggling writers or writers that are dealing with self-doubt? That never goes away. And anyone acting like it does is full of shit. 
<laughs> and don't listen to them and don't read their work. No, um, <laughs> that never goes away. I mean, we sh like I said earlier, we should always be learning and improving our writing and uh, that that should never end until the day we die. We should that's what we should be doing all the time. And I would say read, read as much as you can, because if you're just starting out, your voice is there. You just you, you probably haven't uh, found the way to bring it out yet. So yeah. when when you're reading other people's work, that's going to help you to to bring your voice out and, and figure out how to write in, in a way that you want to write. Uh, whether it be flash fiction or hybrid or nonfiction or whatever, um, reading other people is going to help you write your own work and find your own voice. Or I shouldn't say find your own voice because you know your voice. It's going to help you write in a voice, your own voice, uh, that's that's going to be successful. Because mm -hmm. I, I have stories, my God, that are so terrible. And I know it's because, <laughs> I mean... It's bad um, because I hadn't I hadn't gotten there yet. I hadn't. And then the more I read, the more I learned and figured out um, how to write my own pieces. So that would be my advice. Nice. Yeah, that was like, that was the first thing I realized when I started the MFA and, and mm -hmm. nobody was hesitant to tell me like um you really gotta find a voice and a persona that is your writing voice and uh, i was all over the place for a while but thankfully i'm just gonna like plug adrian in every episode i love her <laughs> she, she, she really helped me to develop that voice i think that's a great piece of advice Thank you so much for tuning in to the second episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moore. If you would like to read more of Hillary's work, head on over to hillaryleftwich.wordpress.com. And if you're interested in buying her multi-genre collection, Ghosts Are Just Strangers Who Know How to Knock, head on over to theaccomplices.org. If you like what you're hearing on our podcast, please please spread the word or head on over to patreon.com slash situation and story to see how you can support us for very small monthly contributions that give you access to early episodes, access to bonus episodes of authors reading their work, even copies of authors books. And if you really go all in, you'll get a signed copy of the author's book each month. We're available on Apple Podcasts now, so please leave a review, write a review. It's going to help us make this a long-term endeavor. We appreciate all your support, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>